Thank you for downloading this message from Roots Community Church. We pray that you are encouraged by the word. If you're looking for more information, please visit us at rccphoenix.com. This week, we are wrapping up a three-week series. I know we're only a month old, we have a three-week series. We're we're reaching a bunch of milestones today. Um, So we're wrapping up our three-week series, and it is the scriptural foundation of the, the Roots Community Church mission statement. Okay, so that mission statement, if you have your notes, uh, it will be the first line there on your notes. Our mission statement is helping people grow deep roots in Christ, okay, connect to community, and then those spaces right there, live God's purpose. <clears throat> live God's purpose. That is the mission statement for us. So let me, uh, before we get going, I want to play you a quick video here. Hopefully you'll be able to see it here on my my iPad where it's still, there's only a few of us, right? So we should be able to knock this out pretty easy. Um, This is a commercial from somewhere over in Europe. So it's in some language I don't understand, but it has subtitles. So if you can't see them, I will make sure to read them to you. And um, it's only 30 seconds, so hopefully you can deal with me here. So all right, here we go, ready? Dad, I wanted to ask you, how's it going with the iPad we got for your birthday? Good. Are the apps working okay? What apps are you talking about? father was using the iPad as a cutting board. He didn't know what it was for, and so he's been using it for a cutting board. <clears throat> so when I saw this video, obviously it's pretty funny, right? I saw the video, and it made me think of this message, believe it or not, uh, because for those of us who are Christ followers and we have uh, a destiny and a purpose for our life, and when we do not live out that purpose, we're like the grandfather using the iPad as a cutting board. It has so much more potential, so much more power, so much more things that it can do. There's so much more going on than that. It is worth more than he can possibly understand because the cutting board was a few bucks. His iPad was several hundred dollars. He doesn't know to kind of look at his grandkids or to take notes on anything or anything like that. He just uses it for what he can try to figure out his own self. And when we try to use our own thought process, our own knowledge, to try to create our own purpose aside from God, we waste so much ability and time. We're like this guy who used the iPad for the cutting board. We really want to tackle purpose today, and not our purpose, but God's purpose, how we live God's purpose. We're going to review six things, or six points on on our notes today, and uh, so they all start with the same the same phrase, to live God's purpose, we must, and then there will be blanks, okay? So we're going to jump right in here. Number one, on your notes there, to live God's purpose, we must know God. K-N-O-W, know God. Now this, this might be the Captain Obvious point of the message, right? Like, well, I'm going to live God's purposes. I got to know God, right? And there's a, there's a very specific reason 
that I wanted to address this and take just a few minutes to kind of hash this out with us <clears throat> to make sure that we you know, put one of the big things in first, foundationally, that we understand something, that our culture is completely antagonistic to what we believe about God and Christ and the Bible. The next line on your, on your, uh, on your notes there is this statement, I'm gonna, and we'll follow up here with it in a second. I want to be so clear about this because of this statement. Our American culture is borrowing many of their core beliefs from Christianity. Adjusting those beliefs into their own interpretations. Removing Christ, that blank there, removing Christ from the equation while trying to accomplish these things through self-effort. That's a mouthful, right? <clears throat> what we're experiencing in our culture here in America right now in 2019 is this, this kind of, uh, we, we want to take, the culture wants to take the good parts of that they, that they, look, they like about you know, scripture, like don't lie, don't cheat, don't steal, it's wrong to murder, the, the idea of justice, the idea of equality, these are all biblical, these are all biblically based principles. But what the culture would like to do is take those things to itself, kind of remove Christ from the equation, interpret them how they want, and say, we don't need God or your dumb book that talks about these ancient myths to, to tell us how to live. We can achieve these goals through self-effort. You got us this far. Thank you. Take your Jesus and God and back him out. We'll take these ideals that are great and good from our creator, and we'll just figure out a way to apply them ourselves. Is that happen happening in our culture? That's very much happening in the culture. It's a tactic of the enemy that is working against us, unfortunately. <clears throat> so it's very important that we as a new body of believers and as believers in general understand this fact. We have to define who God is. We have to define him for ourselves first, and then when we deal with people in the culture, when we deal with people out in the world, when we talk about God, we have to make sure we clear up what God are you talking about? Because our culture is very saturated, especially lately, with a Eastern mysticism, a paganism, Hinduism is coming into prevalence now. Um, there is a, a new age spirituality, and all these things are related. They're like cousins of each other. They borrow from each other to, to create this ambiguous spirituality of emotion that has no reference point. They don't have any way to define what they truly believe. A lot of these things, every, every bit of them is pagan. They are millennia old. They're just dressed up in 2019 clothes, and they're presented to us in a different way. We have to make sure that when we talk about God, we use we use the references from Scripture and to make a clear understanding of the God we believe in and the one we are talking about. Why is this important? In Hinduism, there are three gods and 300 million deities. I did not say that wrong. That is the correct thing. 300 million deities. They, they, they can have anything that they consider their little deity, their little God that they pray to for what, and every person and every family can have multiple ones. <clears throat> the, the New Age spirituality, their effort is to deperson God. And here's what I mean by that. The, you might have heard somebody say stuff like this. 
the force that binds us all together that we refer to as God is, and they go on talking about it, or the origin that happened of the energy. No. They tried to take away the entity of God and make him an oblivious thing that we have kind of constructed in our own minds because we're frail humans. We are frail humans. We did not create him. He created us. It's very important that we understand what position we stand from because if we're going to live his purpose, we got to know him. Mm-hmm. we got to know the right him. Because when you say God today, everyone be cool with you. If you say Jesus today, everybody starts to wince. There is a reason that after Christ rose from the dead, that the believers who were originally called followers of the way were eventually branded Christians. Christ, Ian, that eon at the, at the end is follower, following of the teacher, following of Christ. It's not Godian, it's Christian. Now, Godian sounds like how somebody in Boston would say Guardians of the Galaxy, right? Like the movie, like a parent or legal Guardian. No, no, that's not what I'm talking about. <clears throat> I'm talking about G-O-D. They want there to be a God. They just want him separate from Christ. So what we have to do when we're talking to people about the Lord, and when we talk about him ourselves, we have to make sure that, that, that he is married to his son. Not in a, in a literal sense, but you know what I mean. That, that they're connected in our in our in our talk and our belief system. Do you understand what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. The most famous verse in the Bible, John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that He sent His Son, His only Son. Right? For God so loved the world, He sent His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish and have everlasting life. Next verse: For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved, might be reconciled back to God this is the God we have to refer to and have to be very specific when we're talking to other people and when we uh, we don't get dragged into the idea of oh all the gods of all the religions are the same, they're pretty much similar, incorrect there's so many differences between Christianity and the rest of them. We'll get into that sometime later. <clears throat> Let's look at what Paul says in 2 Corinthians. He's writing this to the, the, the believers in Corinth. <clears throat> he says this. Either way, Christ's love controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. <clears throat> he, Jesus, died for everyone so that those who receive this new life will no longer live for themselves. They will no longer what? They will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old Life is gone. A new life has begun. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. So, knowing God means we know His Son. Knowing His Son means that we don't live for ourselves anymore. We live for Him. We have a new life in us. 
we are become born again. There's new life inside of us, right? Everything we know or that scientists know today about our universe is that the sun is the center of the solar system, correct? Years ago, hundreds and hundreds of years ago, people used to think that the Earth was the center of the entire universe. Right? Uh, people, right? Like, it's all about me. Everything revolves around me. Like, they thought it all revolves around them. <coughs> Go figure. So when they start to research and see that it doesn't revolve around them, it revolved, the Earth revolves around the sun, this is a good parallel to what happens to us when we become believers, we live in a life that is dead, it is flesh-ridden, it is self-centered. We want everything around us. Everything, my desires, my wishes, my emotion, my feeling has to, be, has to be satisfied. But when that new life of Christ steps in and we become born again, we believe in him, something shifts and we realize we're not living for us. It doesn't revolve around us. We are not the star of the movie he is the star. At best, we are a distant extra in the background, and everything has to revolve around him. So when I say we have to know God, we have to know God, that he has his son, believing in him changes us, and he becomes the center of everything we do. That is knowing God. Not just knowing, oh yeah, I know about him. No, that when he is the middle and everything revolves around him. When we get up in the morning not trying to accomplish our desires, revolve around us, we go and look at him and say, what do I need to do to accomplish your purpose? Everything else submits to that. Until that happens, we have not fully submitted our life or our heart to God. We have to know him. <clears throat> Point number two. To live God's purposes, we must, those three lines right there, ready? Produce good fruit. To live God's purposes, we must produce good fruit. <clears throat> John 15, verses 1 through 5. You may recognize this passage from... We read a couple weeks ago, but we're going to deal with a different portion of it. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit. And he prunes the branches that do bear fruit, so they will produce even more. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. <clears throat> then you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me, this is Jesus talking, those who remain in me and I am them, will produce much fruit. Another translation says, will produce good fruit. For apart from me, you can't do nothing. So the actions of our lives, after reading this, we have to understand the actions of our lives will result in one of three things happening. Number one, we will produce no fruit. Number two, we will produce bad fruit. Or, number three, the actions of our lives will result in us producing good fruit. <clears throat> what do I mean by producing no fruit? Those are actions that are completely self-serving. Back to the earth being the center, we're the center. 
actions that are completely self-serving and have no ultimate value to ourselves or others. God says if you don't produce fruit, Jesus says that God will cut you away as a dead branch. Number two, producing bad fruit. These are actions that result in us living opposite of God's word, and here's the real killer, and teaching others to do the same. I do not want to be guilty of producing bad fruit. Third, producing good fruit. Actions that produce the life-giving changes of Christ in us and others. And an extension of that is the fruit of the Spirit that we find in Galatians 5. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. <clears throat> so the question we have to ask ourselves if we're trying to live God's purpose is this. It's the next line in your notes. Is our life producing good fruit? Is our life producing good fruit? Number three. To live God's purposes, this one's a little different. To live God's purposes, we must not, yeah, I'm excited for this one. Ready? Follow our Heart. We must not follow our heart. <clears throat> I know somebody will probably give me some pushback on this one, so let me dig into it. I considered actually rewriting it because it kind of has a negative bend, but this is such a prevalent idea in our culture. I figured, you know what, let's just run right to the deep end, right? Let's just run head on and kind of deal with it. Our Western Americanized culture tells us a lot of things, but we're going to deal with three of them, and they're the next three spots of your notes. Our Western culture constant, consistently, constantly as well, tells us to A, follow our heart, follow our heart, B, chase our dreams, chase our dreams, C, find our personal truth. Find our personal truth. <clears throat> Anytime we hear these things from culture, we have to say, I've heard what the culture says. Let me find what God's word says. Ready for this? Here's why I say, do not follow our own hearts. Jeremiah 17, verse 7 through 10. <clears throat> Thus says the Lord, Jeremiah is talking to the children of Israel. Cursed is the man who trusts and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in parched places of the wilderness and in uninhabited salt land. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green, and it is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. Ready for this? The heart is deceitful above all things. Let's just do that one again. Ready? Just for the culture's <laughs> sake. Ready? The heart is deceitful above all things. And if that wasn't bad enough, let's read the next couple words. 
and desperately sick. Some translations say wicked, desperately wicked. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. Mm -hmm. Ephesians chapter 4. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord. This is Paul talking to the believers, the church in Ephesus. That you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to what? The hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in Him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught, with regard to your former ways of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness." After we've heard what the culture says, and we've heard what the Word of God says, this next statement on your notes is completely blatantly obvious. The majority of cultural beliefs are opposite of God's Word. That next line. The majority of cultural beliefs are opposite of God's Word. <clears throat> if we follow our own hearts according to Scripture... We, are, we, are, uh, we will wind up submitting to fleshly desires. If we make a dream, our own personal dream, whatever we create up is like, that's, that's my dream. If we follow that, we are following our own purpose and not God's. If every person has their own personal truth, this is hard to say. If every person has their own personal truth, then Jesus Christ is a liar. Why? Because he says, I am the way, singular, the truth, singular, the life. No one comes to the Father, to God, except through him. <clears throat> if we're going to live God's purposes, we cannot follow our own heart. Number four, to live God's purposes, we must become, number four on your notes, to live God's purposes, we must become true ministers. <clears throat> become true ministers. <coughs> Go back to 2 Corinthians. Paul's talking to the group of believers in the Corinthian church. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. God has given us the task of reconciling people to him. I'm going to let that sit there for a second. God has given us the task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself and no longer counting people's sins against them. 
and he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. I don't know about you, but that right there has some weight of responsibility that I was not prepared for growing up. We are giving the task of reconciling people to him. An ambassador... Even my niece said amen to me on that one. An ambassador is someone who leaves their homeland, goes to a different land, and represents or re-presents the culture from where they came. As people who have been born again, our job, our task, as an ambassador for Christ, is to be with him, be in our community, follow his word, be in his word, and then go represent that way of life, the truth, the way to be reconciled with God, with Christ, to the world. That is another wrinkle of his purpose. We have to become true ministers. Now, I'm going to say something that the legalistic part of me as a kid, my sphincter would have tightened up on me on this one. So... <clears throat> it's <laughs> people are like um, uh, that's alright I'll get better too um, <laughs> filtering was going to come out of my head right um, so the legalistic part of me as a kid would have not liked this okay the majority of people in this room the ministry that happens for the majority of the people in this room will be away from church mm-hmm. It will be away from church. We have been, um, and I'm, I'm in the middle of it. It's not like I'm standing out here going, I had it right this whole time. No, I'm, we're, I'm right in it with you, right? I've had this, and the church in general has had this idea that the ministry happens at the church building, and the pastor and the staff and whoever works there, they're the ministers. And we are going to go get people and let them, the ministers, do your thing, bro. Yeah, don't embarrass me. You know what I mean? And then after it's over, we take them home or go out to eat or have coffee with them or whatever. And then we're like, what did you think about what he said? And we have shifted the responsibility of what we just read in that scripture of what we are supposed to do to the building of the church. And on the weekend. Now, I want you to invite people. I, I desperately do. I thank you for inviting these guys. I haven't seen them in years. It's awesome. <clears throat> I'm, I'm so glad. I'm so glad that, that, to, to see you here as well. I'm, I'm so glad that, that, that people would invite someone. That's great. We want you to do that. We do not want that to replace you being able to pray for someone 
to share the gospel with them and to know enough of God's word to say, this is what Christ did for me. And you don't have to wait to get to the pastor or to his house or wherever we're meeting, you know, in the future. Um, You don't have to wait for that. We can pray right here at this desk in this cubicle. Turn around and lay hands on that sucker and watch him be healed because you are the minister. There is ministry, there's an aspect of ministry that does happen at the church. We read last week where we're supposed to serve one another with our gifts. We're supposed to serve fellow believers, but we gather once a a week. If you come and help with kids, the children's or youth or worship team, and all that's coming whenever the day will come for that, that that won't come. And we can have volunteers for all that and greeters and all that, and all of that matters. That really does matter. But if you volunteer twice a month, two of the 30 days you have served the community. There's another 28 days for you to go and deposit what is in you to everyone else. Our job as a church is not to be the biggest thing in the world with the highest visibility and the most people so that we can say to everyone, the entire world was saved or all the people who were saved happened because we built this big integrous thing. That is not the design in scripture. The biggest thing on the block has to be Jesus. Our job is to not, okay, let me, let me relieve you of responsibility. I was a youth pastor in, in Florida for a little while before I moved out here. And one of the youth leaders called me a couple years after I moved out here. And he said something to me in our conversation that blew my mind and real, recalibrated some things for me. I'm asking him how he was doing, what he's doing with ministry. And he goes, you know what? I am, I'm doing what I can. I'm, I'm, I'm being a light where I am. I, I, I experienced such freedom. When I released myself from the responsibility of trying to win the world. It is not your job or my job to win the world. It is Christ's job through the church. Through the church. Not our expression, local expression of the church. But the body of Christ as a whole. There is not supposed to be one big thing that everybody looks at and goes, that is what... I want, to be a, I want to be a part of and I got my life right because of that. If it is big and that happens, great. There will not ever be one. Mm-hmm. We're supposed to be smaller incision points for the gospel into your world. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, Nina's mom uh, passed away two years ago, September 9th, two years ago. And she lived with us for a long time. She lived with my sister-in-law Crystal for a long time. For for years at a time, we would we would kind of we didn't really trade off. It's kind of hor- horrible to say, like, you take her, I take her. It wasn't like that. But there was different points of life where her time where she would live with us and she would live with Crystal. And we were responsible whenever she gets sick to take her to the hospital. And unfortunately, at the end of her life, she was increasingly sick and she'd always have to go to the hospital. And the thing she hated about going there the most was when they, when they tried to put the IV in her arm. Because her conditions were such, and her physical condition was such, where it was so hard for them to find the vein to put in the IV for the fluid and the medicine and the treatments, right? So they would stick her 
four, five, six, seven times and miss. And so it was so hard to watch. My heart broke for her. And then inevitably, they would call somebody, some specialist. I don't know what they call these guys, but there's somebody in this room somewhere who knows how to get, who knows how to find the, the IV lines, right? So this person comes in, and they tie the strap a different way, they move the arm a different way, they have a smaller needle, and they look real quick, and bam, it's in there every time it happened like that. Probably the last five or six times we had her in the hospital, that's exactly what had to happen. <clears throat> when I was thinking about this point and praying and studying, that picture came to mind. Because we are supposed to be the injection points for what's going on inside of us, the truth, the light of the gospel, not to the whole world, but to the world you live in. So, none of y'all are in school, so I'm going to talk to y'all. When you go to school, <laughs> I should say none of us. I try to separate myself, but dang it. Um, y'all are in school. You are supposed to be so connected to the vine that is Christ, that what being connected to him, his goodness is coming out of you, and you don't have to win the whole school, but the person that's in front of you, make sure you give them that lifeline, that IV, you are an injection point for the gospel to them. Now y'all don't work, let me talk to them. When you go to work, that's your job. Whether you run a business, whether you work for somebody else, whether you are retired, whether you're raising kids, whatever it is, our job is to be that specialist injection point right there to let the goodness, because we are connected to Christ, flow through us and be mo and, and introduce them to the remedy for their scenario. On your notes there, <clears throat> we are the, at the very bottom, right before number five, it says we are the injection points for the gospel in the world. We are the injection points. Number five. To live God's purposes, we must hear His voice. To live God's purposes, we must hear His voice. <clears throat> John chapter 10, verse 22. It was now winter, and Jesus was in Jerusalem at the time of Hanukkah, the festival of dedication. He was in the temple walking through the section known as Solomon's Colonnade. The people surrounded him and asked, How long are you going to keep us in suspense? If you're the Messiah, tell us plainly. Jesus replied, I've already told you, but you don't believe me. The proof is in the work I do in my Father's name. But you don't believe me because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one can snatch them away from me. For my Father has given them to me and he is more powerful than anyone else. No one can snatch them from the Father's hand. The Father and I are one. <clears throat> There's been many times in my life, and I've had this conversation with many people where they say this statement to me. I just feel like I can't really hear God's voice right now. I can't really understand what he wants from me. I don't know what he's saying to me. I can't really hear it. And so we're going to give you the number one remedy for that. Ready for this next part on your notes? 
If we are having trouble hearing the Lord's voice, our first step is to, ready? Very profound. Open our Bibles. Open our Bibles. If I'm honest with you, and the people that I've talked to who have the similar scenario were honest with me, there is a similarity and a consistency and where I was in my own life at the time where I was having trouble hearing God's voice, it was a time where I had neglected his word. The chief and primary way he's going to speak to you is right here in his book. <clears throat> How do I figure out what I'm supposed to do in my life in his book? How am I supposed to deal with these rebellious kids in his book? How am I supposed to deal with parents who are not accurate? It's in his book. I heard it said before that this, you know, that we read the Bible. We think we read the Bible, but actually the Bible reads us. <coughs> and what that means is we think we're trying to go understand it, but we see a reflection here of our nature versus Christ, and we realize what we're supposed to be and how we're supposed to live, yeah. and it challenges us to do that. That next line on your notes there, God speaks through his word. His word. <clears throat> and the next, and that last line right there, right underneath it, no action or instruction can contradict his word. <clears throat> if you're in the midst of praying for something and you feel like the Spirit is leading you some way or kind of giving you a nudge or you're, you're, you're kind of sensing that you're supposed to go this direction, the Holy Spirit's leading you this direction, one of the great ways to figure out if that's you wanting to go chase your own dream or if it's really God is come back to the scripture because there is no contradiction. I'll say that in an old uh, biblical language. There is no shadow of turning with him. There is no inconsistency between what the Lord would ask you to do through his Holy Spirit and what is written here in his word. So if you have a sense, if I have a sense, I'm supposed to go do whatever, and I come back and it's contradictory with his word, that I'm not supposed to do it. I heard wrong. This isn't wrong. We have to prioritize his word because it's one of the chief ways that we hear his voice. And if we want to live his purpose, we have to hear his voice. Last one, number six. <clears throat> to live God's purposes, we must obey His commands. Obey His commands. <clears throat> Matthew 22. But when the Pharisees heard that He, Jesus, had silenced the Sadducees with His reply, they met together to question Him again. One of them, an expert in religious law, tried to trap Him with this question. Teacher, what is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Jesus replied, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Here's what I love about Jesus. Somebody asks him for one thing, and he goes, I'll give you two. <laughs> he keeps going. So he's answered the question, right? The most important one. And he goes, And a second a second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. They're based on those two. 
loving God and loving people. John 15, verse 12. This is Jesus talking to his followers and disciples. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. You no longer do, and you no longer do, or no longer do I call you servants. For a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all the things that I heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go bear fruit. And the fruit should remain. That whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. These things I command you, that you love one another. Two greatest commandments are love God with everything you've got and love people with the same love you got for yourself. The last note on your lines right there, the last line in your notes right there is the purposes of God all have roots in love. They all have roots in love. You know, um, we were having dinner the other night with with the Harris crew, and um, we were um, talking about how we were raised and the various forms of discipline that were enacted on us as kids. And some of us had very different experiences than the other ones, you know, and some had different experiences. And, you know, I heard stories of spoons and shoes and slippers and two-by-fours and chairs and, like, fill-in-blank, you know, whatever you get your hand on at the moment, you know. Um, and it reminded me as I was getting ready for this about all the correction that God gave to the children of Israel. And I thought, man, if everything he does is in love, man, he was kind of harsh on you're disobeying me, you're not following my commands. And then if I remember, the ones he corrects, the ones he disciplines, are the ones he loves. Even the hard discipline that God puts us through in parents, even the discipline that is hard for you with your children, is ultimately an act of love. Tonight wasn't a deep dive into finding your gifts. It wasn't a, 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 a research and development and survey to figure out what your giftings are and how you can go accomplish your purpose. No, 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 no. We will do that at a later time. But everything has to revolve around him and his purpose. If we are going to live his purposes, we have to know him. We have to produce good fruit. We cannot follow our own heart. We have to become true ministers. We must hear his voice. We must obey his commandments. Those commandments are all rooted.